the Hudson letter. Sometimes, from beyond the skyscrapers, the cry of a tugboat finds you in your insomnia. And you remember this desert of iron and cement is an island. Albert Camus, American Journals. Winter. A short walk from the 10th Street Pier. And what of the kickstart that should be here? The fishy ice lies thick on Gansevoort around the corner and the snow shines bright about your country house this morning. Short the time left to find the serenity which for a lifetime has eluded me. A rented studio apartment in New York, five blocks from the river, time to think and work, long-suffering friends and visitors, the bars where Dylan Thomas spent his final hours, God rest him. But there's something missing here in this autistic slammer. Some restorative laid like a magic wand on everything, on bed, chair, desk and air conditioner. I often visualise in the neon slush that great heartbreaking moment in the gold rush where Chaplin, left alone on New Year's Eve, listens to life's feast from his little shack and the strains of Auld Lang Syne across the snow. Oh, show me how to recover my lost nerve. The radiators knock, whistle and sing. I toss and turn and listen when I wake to the first bird and the first garbage truck, hearing the lordly Hudson hardly flow to New York Harbour and the sea below. The lights go out along the Jersey shore and as Manhattan faces east once more, dawns early light on bridge and water tower. A speakeasy's temperate nightingale on WQXR pipes up, though stronger stations throng the ether. A radio serendipity to illustrate the resilience of our lyric appetite. Carnivalesque or studiously apart. On tap, in offices, lofts and desperate hoods to Lorca's urinating multitudes while I make coffee and listen for the news at eight. But first the nightingale. Sing, muse. Out there. Left completely to his own devices, the bachelor's idea of interior decoration is a pyramid of empty beer cans on a window ledge. PJ O'Rourke, the bachelor home companion. Classical radio for your New York is 96.3 FM WQXR. Here I was, sitting quietly in my studio and grading papers with the radio low, as Pascal says we should, when out of the blue last night under the fire escape, some psycho sends up a stream of picturesque abuse, directed evidently at my fourth floor window. His reasoning, trenchant, complex and abstruse. 
One of those paranoids who seem to know the systems out to get them even so. For paranoia, of course, is no excuse. A nervous terrier left home alone and maddened, maybe by the relentless tone, went crazy hollering in the flat below. Then it was time for the lunatic upstairs to shift his desk and realign his chairs. A West Side Story love scene on the sidewalk, whoop of police sirens, car alarms, unanimous as in a California quake, while some lay dreaming in each other's arms. Around five, a hand with Gershwin nonchalance shook up the empties in the recycling bin at the corner, shivering for a drop of gin, its movements brisk, fastidious, and all at once triumphant. Dawn. The kickstart as some heroine draws on her gloves for the Yamaha dream trip to Provincetown, Key West, or Sunset Strip. Tired vents exhale, cloudy windows condense. Vague vapors, pearl fire hydrant and chain link fence. And the homeless gaze with satire or indifference from cardboard boxes on a construction site as she sets out on her epic expedition. To each his haste, to each his dreamt occasion. Nor snow, nor rain, nor sleet, nor gloom of night stays these swift couriers from their appointed flight. Global Village. This morning, from beyond abandoned piers, where the great liners docked in former years, a foghorn echoes in deserted sheds known to Hart Crane and in our vigilant beds. No liners now, nothing but ice and grime. A late flame flickering on Brodsky Street, news time in the Global Village, Ethiopian drought, famine. Whole nations, races evicted even yet. Rape victim and blind beggar at the gate. The images forming which will be screened tonight on CNN and the McNeil Lehrer News Hour. The sense of being right there on the spot. A sense I get right here that Gansevoort has no existence, natural or real, apart from its being perceived by the understanding. Not that I seriously doubt the reality of the Hudson Bar and Diner. But the skills of Venturi, Thompson, Rouse that can make postmodern a 19th century warehouse and those of Hollywood film noir have combined to create virtual realities in the mind. So the real thing tells us what we already know behind the signs. Obviously, I don't mean to pen yet one more craven European peon to the States, nor would you expect me to, not being a yuppie in a pinstripe suit, but an Irish bohemian even as you are too though far from the original ballroom of romance, far too from your posh convent school in France. Out here in the clear existential light, I miss the half-tones I'm accustomed to. An amateur immigrant, sure, I like the corny humanism and car stickers, 
I love NY, and yet remain sardonic and unchic. An undesirable resident alien on this shore, a face in the crowd in this offshore boutique, inscribed with the ubiquitous comic strip blob speak. Love one another, resist insipid rhyme. Exposed in thunderstorms as once before, and hoping to draw some voltage one more time. Four, waterfront. We shall go down like Paleolithic man before some new Ice Age or Genghis Khan. Louis McNeese, an eclogue for Christmas. Chased convalescence from an exigent world, we come to rivers when we are young or old. Stir-crazy, driven by cabin fever, I choose the 10th Street Pier and toddle into the cold, where once the waters spun to your fierce screws. New Amsterdam, Caronia, Ile-de-France, ice inches seaward in a formal dance, where now, adrift with trash and refuse barges, the photorealist estuary discharges its footage into the blind Atlantic snow, where ice confines the crippled QE2. Smoky and crepitant, glacier spiky, rough in its white logic, it is a lithograph from the ancient mariner, from Scott's last voyage, or the narrative of Arthur Gordon Poe. And old Heraclitus might have walked here too. This morning, though, the throes of a warm snap so ice cracks far off like a thunderclap somewhere along Bohemia's desert coast and puffs drift in the harsh riparian light. Gun cotton against storm clouds in the west that rain infection and industrial waste. Though now we emerge from the industrial night and I recall my ten-year-old delight at the launch of a P&O liner in Belfast all howling, oh God, our help in ages past. Tugs hooting, loose tons of chain thundering into the tide. I can hear no Jersey blackbird serenade this wrapped friar on the big apple side. Yet having come so far from home, I try to imagine our millennium where, in the thaw water of an oil drum, the hot genes of the future seethe. The sun shines on the dump, not on the Côte d'Azur, and not on the cloistered murals, to be sure. Subvert the dominant paradigm. Gabriel 141. To Mrs. Moore at Inishannon. Number 1, Fifth Avenue, New York City, September 14th, 1895. And mother dear, I'm glad to be alive. After a whole week on the crowded Oceanic, though I got here all right without being sick. We boarded in the rain, St. Coleman's spire shrinking ashore, a few lamps glimmering there. Will the last to leave please put out the lights? And slept behind the engine for six nights. A big gull sat at the masthead all the way from Roach's Point to Montauk till one day it staggered up 
and vanished with the breeze and the mast rigging by the Hudson Keys. Downtown, dear God, is like a glimpse of hell in a hot wave. Drunken men, the roaring L, the noise and squalor indescribable. Manners are rough and speech indelicate. More teeming sure than you could shake a stick at. However, the Kelly's guest house, church and tram. Now, thanks to Mrs. O'Brien, here I am at last, installed amid the kitchenware in a fine house a short step from Washington Square. Protestants, mind you, and a bit serious, much like the Bandon sort, not cracked like us, the older children too big for their breeches, though Sam, the four-year-old, has me in stitches. In any case, the whole country's underage. I get each Sunday off and use the privilege to explore Broadway, the new Brooklyn Bridge, or the Statue of Liberty, copper torch on top, which, would you believe it, actually lights up. And look at the Jersey shoreline, blue and gold. It's all fire and sunlight here in the new world. Eagles and bugles. Curious their simple faith that stars and stripes are all of life and death as if Earth's centre lay in Central Park, when we both know it runs through County Cork. Sometimes at night, in my imagination, I hear you calling me across the ocean. But the money's good, though I've had to buy new clothes for the equatorial climate. I enclose ten dollars. More to come. Here, for God's sake, they fling the stuff around like snuff at a wake. Bye now, and mother dear, you may be sure I remain your loving daughter, Bridget Moore. Six. Insider trading reports are linked to price of bonds. No solution at hand while nuclear waste piles up. New York toughing it out to get through the cold. Question reality, death is back, Night Owl, Gabriel 141. AT&T, Boeing, Chrysler, DuPont, Digital, Dow Jones, Exxon, General Motors, IBM, 9X Sears, Paranoia, McCann, Ericsson, America After Dark. Escaped Bronx seabirds spotted in Central Park. On Legend Rail they sit, Inca Turn and Andean Gull, who fled their storm-wrecked cage in the Bronx Zoo and now flap in exhilaration and growing fear above Yonkers, New Rochelle, Great Neck, Astoria, Long Beach, Red Hook, Bay Ridge, the whole tri-state area. A transmigration of souls, crazy-eyed as they peer through mutant cloud cover and air thick with snow dust, toxic aerosol dazzle and invasive car exhaust, or perch forlorn on gargoyle and asbestos roof. Fine-featured, ruffled, attentive, almost too high to hear the plaintive desolate cab horns on Madison and Fifth. Like Daisy's Cunard Nightingale, they belong in another life. They're intrigued, baffled, and finally bored stiff by the wised-up millions lunching far below, but vulnerable, too, as askance they stare at the alien corn of Radio City, Broadway, and Times Square, and up again at the clouds, where on earth can they go? 
They won't touch garbage, so where and what will they eat? If you see one of these nervous birds on ledge or sill, dark blue, light gray, white head and tail, red bill, contact the Manhattan Avian Rehab Center, 212-689-3039, and ask for Claire or Jill. Though, to be frank, their chances are less than fair, nor, to be honest, is our confidence great that these rare species will be fit to compete in the fight for survival on the city street with urban gulls, crows, and other tufts of the air. 7. The Travel Section, from Jules Lafogue, 19th century. I'm reading about life on the prairie and frontier when a voice cries, Hey, you could live here. Outcast from the old world, a desperado without God or governance. Where could I not go? Out there I'll scalp my European brain, run wild like a young colt on the open plain. A sort of post-literate Huck Finn child of nature or existential citizen of the future. An idealistic, rustic, rancher, architect, hunter, fisherman, gambler, prickly autodidact. And live buckskin clad on whiskey and pot roast between Colorado and the Pacific coast, sleeping out under pre-Columbian skies more generous than our bourgeois certainties. And a mystique of campsites, the lynch law, rough diamonds to clutch in my grubby paw, a gold rush over the desert at first light, a poker school around the fire at night. When I grow old, a farm in the sunrise, a dairy cow, grandchildren at my knees, and slung from the twin cow horns over the gate, a split pine signboard advertising body art. And if fond memories of the Place Vendôme or the high hopes of my contemporaries should tempt me into thoughts of going home, or the rocky buzzard come to symbolize the infinite as opposed to the purple sage, I'll start a new cult of the golden age with its own code based on holistic books, blithe and postmodern for the post-pastoral folks. Eight. Ovid on West Forth. Heragit dum talia procne, ad matrem veniebat itus, quid possit ab illo ad monitas oculisque tuens imitibus. Ah, quam es similis patri. Women are necessarily capable of almost anything in their struggle for survival, and can scarcely be convicted of such man-made crimes as cruelty. F. Scott Fitzgerald, Tender is the Night. When his wronged wife, Procne, sat him down to eat, King Terius little knew what was on his plate. Afternoon now, some silence in the street, till released children dashed to bus and swing. Pretending this dinner was a traditional thing, an Athenian feast fit only for a king, she excused the servants, Throned in his royal seat, Porterius sipped his wine in solitary state and, forking his own son hot from a covered dish, called out, Hey, send young Itis here to me. Procne could barely conceal her wicked glee and, keen to tell him the ghastly news, replied, pointing at Terius' stomach, There he is inside. What do you mean? says Terius, looking foolish. 
I don't see him. Then, as he called once more, fair Philomela appeared, dripping with blood, and flung Itis' severed head, itself streaming with gore right in Terry's face, as he picked at his own young. Oh, how she longed then for the use of her tongue. Nothing would have given her greater pleasure than to whisper a few harsh words to her ravisher. As for the king, he nearly had a seizure, to think that he should eat his own son, Itis. Howling, he swept aside the candlesticks and called the furies from the depths of sticks. No, howling, he overturned the dinner table and called the furies from the hobs of hell. Unhinged to think this flesh of his own flesh, consumed by the viscera where the genes first grew, and he his own son's charnel house, he drew his sword to open his own digestive tract and pluck the chewed-up gobbets from the mush, but turned instead on the two sisters, who fled as if on wings. And they were winged, in fact. Both of them changed in a twinkling into birds, whirring and twittering inches above his head, swallow and nightingale hovering in midair. One flew to the rooftop, one flew to the woods, where even today the nightingale can be heard descanting in Convent Garden and Georgian Square while Terius, with hair on end and furious sword bill, turned into a hoopoe and is furious still. Never mind the hidden agenda, the subtext. It's not really about male arrogance, rough sex or vengeful sisterhood, but about art and the encoded mysteries of the human heart. Nine. Nature, not having included me in her plan, has treated me like an uninvited guest. Turgenev, diary of a superfluous man. Uneaten, you call home while I take a rest. It's 9pm, London time, when your mother picks up the phone, 3,000 miles away in Shepherd's Bush. Dinner is nearly over, perhaps, and the BBC on the news box. Soviet disintegration, Anglo-Irish talks... As it used to be, while on the sofa lie new fiction, Jacobean drama, philosophy, The Observer magazine and the Daily Mail, I'm guessing. Tell me, son, do you recall ten years ago now when our little platoon would march round Barry's Pond each afternoon? Here, early for the World Cup and having a ball, you talk to your sister now in that lost domain, describing how holed up in a brownstone on St Luke's Place and painting the house in lieu of rent. You're goofing off tonight to a party below Canal with friends in the film scene and the grunge rock milieu. Then on I come. Hi, Katie, with my banal happy birthday and happy St. Valentine's Day and my lame excuses for not being able to pay your school fees this time round. And I feel all of a sudden like the worst kind of heel. Sometimes as I sit in the pub or stand up there in Columbia University like Philby in Red Square, I blush like a traitor. But what kind of a traitor? A traitor to the past, to a country not our own, to the land of fiscal rectitude and spiritual desolation. The Family Values Brigade, the Conservative Task Force, the Gene Militia, the armies of the unborn. I know our loyalty to unhappiness, of course, the feeling that this is where we really belong, and yet, across 3,000 miles of water and five time zones, my own prayer for my daughter would be not innocence and ceremony, exactly, but a more complicated grace, the sort of thing you play when you're alone in the house of Atreus, something slow and meditative, some rich myth of reconciliation as if a statue moved and began to live. 
for I like to think all this is a winter's tale. A precocious feminist, already at the age of five, contemptuous of your raggedy dolls, derisive yet serious, I know you take a pretty satirical view of the daft cards and naff hearts in the stores right now. Be mine, you know what I mean. I dream only of you, yet at American dusk, if I catch, as I sometimes do, a TV-lighted nuclear family glimpse of pillows, home computers, and Noguchi lamps, it sets me thinking of old times and how, too busy growing up myself, I failed to watch you grow. Sometime soon you must visit this musical city to hear Purcell in Carnegie Hall, an American string quartet, Eartha Kitt at the St. Regis, Il Trovatore at the Met. I've had neither the authority nor the opportunity to tell you about the things you need to know, as your mother will. How not to rely on looks only, but on acquired skills and the wisdom found in books, up to a point, of course. You were a scream, therefore a born artist, but even the being is an art we learn for ourselves, in solitude, on our very own, listening to the innermost silence of the heart, prolonging the inconsequence of a gaze and dreaming at all times our uninterruptible dream of redemptive form. I saw a film recently, Glenn Gould playing Bach to the Canadian wilderness, the great chords crashing out into empty space, the music of the planet, the glorious racket with which we explain ourselves in perpetuity to our high-tech geological posterity at the frozen outer reaches of the galaxy. It's ridiculous, but just do it, as they say here. Make noise without embarrassment or fear. Take it from the top, Katie. Yours is the sound we want to hear. Ten. St. Mark's Place. Auden. Floppy, slippered bear of St. Mark's Place, I seem to glimpse your cheesy limestone face as you stand at your dirty window, gin in paw, on a hot evening during the Great Cold War, where the young Trotsky published Nove Mir. Joseph the druggist, Abe in the liquor store, Morris the mailman and Marianne Moore are the happier for your grumpy love. For funny in Hobbit t-shirt and dubious Levi's, you were a victim of nothing but irony. Gramsci's new disease of the interregnum. And to castration and death phone threats replied without hesitation, I think you've the wrong number. Lord of Martini and Clara Hugh, so insistent on your privacy, who so valued personal responsibility, what would you make now of the cosmic Pax Americana, our world of internet and facts, an ever more complex military-industrial complex, situational ethics, exonerative 12-step programs, health fascism, critical theory, and smart bombs. While we hole up in our bathhouses and catacombs, votaries of Eros, if not always of Aphrodite, I see you ride at rush hour with your rich pity and self-contempt, an uptown train packed to the doors with aristocratic Negro faces, not like ours, or reciting the unknown citizen at the Y. When will she... Gaia, Cleo, send downpours to silence the Gnostic chirrup 
of her calumniators. When will we hear once more the pure voice of elation raised in the nightwood of known symbol and illusion? So far from mother in the unmarried city, you contemplate a new ode to your Frosinie, goddess of banquets. And in the darkest hours of Holocaust and apocalypse, cheap music and singles bars, you remind us of what the examined life involves. For what you teach is the courage to be ourselves, however ridiculous. And if you were often silly or too prone to hold forth, you prescribe a cure for our civilization and its discontents based upon agape, baroque opera, common sense, and the abstract energy that brought us here, sustaining us now as we face a more boring future. Eleven. Chinatown. The wind of the common people whirls from lanes and alleys, poking the rubbish, stirring up the dust. Xiang Chu, third century. And whips the pagodas of Confucius Square. Gabriel 141, death is back. Find the cure. A rackety sunset under a stormlit sky where we sit, uncool dad and laconic son, amid the festive clatter of sun low key, dining on midnight mussels and sesame prawn, torn from the hairy darkness of the sea. A crackle of firecrackers all over the ward for the Chinese New Year, Gambino and Genovese having moved on. Where the broom fails to reach, said Mao, the dust won't clear of its own accord. But we like it here in this ethnocentric refuge under the fairy lights of Brooklyn Bridge where the quiet or chattering families sit at board. We're one of the quiet tables as we review your temporary job, tonight's occasion. You're listening to Guns N' Roses, Simple Minds, U2, and reading Moby Dick, according to you, but I recognize your strategies of evasion, for I too was young and morose, and youth, a frightful little shit, to tell the truth, a rancorous paragon of bile and sloth in the days of nihilism and alienation, though house-trained by your mother later on. In any event, those ancient days are gone, like the Tang Dynasty in the shoes of 1941. We are all lost boys, or so we like to imagine, each sprung like Gatsby from his own self-conception. Whereas, of course, there's not much you can do about the odd parents who conceived of you. And being young, I remember it well, is tough. Will the last bus be gone? Her light be on or off? I wouldn't do it again for all the tea in Taiwan. But now that you've reached the age of rock and soccer, road movie dreams, and I the age of serious medicine, let me, Polonius of the Twilight Zone, offer you some belated functional soccer. I need hardly speak to you in praise of women since you grew up amongst them. So did I, but there's a tale we'll keep indefinitely. Be thou familiar, but by no means vulgar. Shun the fatuous rectitude of received opinion, newspeak, and euphemism, don't stick up for your rights or worry about your self-esteem. Contrive your own life 
and live it by your own lights where such considerations don't apply. Costly thy habit as thy purse can buy. Be skeptical but wholehearted, don't be shy. Avoid spirits and nicotine, read Stendhal on love. Trust your own instincts, even the most fugitive, and welcome to la condition humaine. Cheer up, son. Oh, and above all, disbelieve the cynic who tries to tell you how to behave. For as Confucius said, fine words are seldom humane. Twelve. Alien Nation. These chronic homeless are mostly single adults who have given up seeking help because they feel the system has given up on them and is largely unresponsive to their needs. Many are substance abusers. Getting high or drunk may be the only way they know of alleviating their pain and disappointment. What you can do to help the homeless. Simon & Schuster, 1991. RX, Gotham, drug, gay cruises, Sony, liquors, Marlboro, Adult Video, XXX, Belshazzar, Find the Cure, Iglesia Adventista del Septimo Dia. We come upon them in the restless dark, in the moon shadow of the World Trade Center, with Liberty's torch glimmering over the water, glued to a rerun of the exterminator on a portable TV in a corner of Battery Park. Some of park views, others sleep in the park. And think how sensible the alternative polity beneath the ostensible pharaonic city glimpsed through rain or dust from an expressway. The old clothes, packing cases and auto trunks seen everywhere from here to the South Bronx. Its population growing by the week, by the day, oblivious to our chaos theories and data banks from the Port Authority bus terminal to JFK and farther afield in freight yard and loading bay, gulls screaming, landfill, stripped trailer and boxcar, the gap increasing between the penthouse tower and the desert of cinder block and razor wire, watered by truck stop rainbow and sun shower, or behind the Ritz Carlton and Holiday Inn. We are all survivors in this rough terrain. I know you and you me, you wretched buggers, and I have no problem calling you my brothers. For I too have been homeless and in detox with bad niggas and crack hoes on the rocks, and maybe there again for all I know roaming the streets at neon-fingered dawn. Blown here like particles from an exploding sun, we are all far from home, be our home still a Chicago slum, a house under the cave hill, or a caravan parked in a field above Cushendon. Clutching our bits and pieces, arrogant in dereliction, we are all out there, filling the parks and streets with our harsh demand, sleep faster, we need the sheets. Now off to your high loft in the disco night, young faces glittering under trippy light. Smoke red and yellow where the doctor spins high-octane decks among the boogie bins. An ocean breeze, wildflower-scented, soft and warm, blows downtown where we part in the night air. A Haitian driver, mordant as Baudelaire, whisks me up Hudson Street in a thunderstorm. Thirteen. Sappho in Judas' room. What is important now is to recover our senses. 
In place of a hermeneutics, we need an erotics of art. Susan Sontag, Against Interpretation, 1964. The reed-voiced nightingale has been my guide, soft-spoken announcer of spring, whose song I set against a cult of contention I decried, except, of course, for the fight to be affectionate. A corps of men, a list of ships. Give me instead my nonviolent girls, Cedro, Gangula, and particularly our glamorous Anacturia somewhere over the sea, whose eyes' mischievous sparkle remains to me a finer sight than Homeric bronze. For now, like the moon rising at sunset, casting its glow on the waves, on evening meadows of brine and dew, she climbs the night sky, and perhaps her heart too is heavy with recollection. Perhaps out there she hears the wind among the reeds, and calls so the soft-petaled ears of darkness hear her and the dividing sea. Aphrodite, weaver of intrigue, revisit my heart as so often before in your dove-drawn chariot. Nothing was alien to me, nothing inhuman. What did I teach but the love of women? Soon, when the moon and Pleiades have gone, in the vast silence of the night I shall lie alone or sit, tenth muse in this American bookstore, relishing the historical ironies in store and the homeless flow of life beyond the door. The authors are all women, and I myself am represented on the poetry shelf. Miraculously, I hold here in my hands stanzas exhumed from the Egyptian sands. For if harsh nature made me short and dark, she picked me out to do immortal work and grades my stature, slight though I seem to be, in lines of verse that are still read even here and not just by my own sapphic coterie. Sure, I've been down to the dead kingdom to hear the grim statistics and seen with my own eyes women and children in their extremities. But beyond speech and the most inclusive song, my theme is love and love's daimonic character. A sight of praise and not of grievances, whatever the torment, which we meet, if wise, in our best festive and ingenious guise. Let of old Plato frown the eye austere. Before the Café Neon I'd sit when young in Seagirt Mitalini of the Dirty Dances, making eye contact with new acquaintances and relishing our sweet Aeolian tongue. And now that I exceed in fame our fine Alcaeus, the laureate of politics and wine, whose high style was more serious than mine, the bad girls of my cult, an ardent choir whose shafts shivered their music in my lyre, votaries of Aphrodite, a thoughtful crowd, still gather here to hear me read aloud. And if I cling still to an old favoritism, 
or fall for a younger man from time to time. I'm happiest here in a place like Judith's room with Juna, Janice, Gloria, Brooke and Kim. Girls all be with me now and keep me warm. Didn't I say we'd live again in another form? Fourteen, Beauty and the Beast. I don't know any stories. None of the lost boys know any stories. How perfectly awful, said Wendy. J.M. Barry, Peter Pan. I go night shopping like Frank O'Hara. I go bopping up bleaker for juice, croissant, perry, ice cream, and gitan filters, pick up the laundry, get back to five, five messages on the answering machine from Mary Kay and Eliza, Louis, Barry, and Jack, and on TV, 60 channels of mind-polluting dreck. Thank God for the VCR. Now at last I can screen the old movies I haven't seen since I was young. A Night to Remember, Weir Window, High Noon, The Man Who Never Was, A King in New York. Tonight, for example, tickled to bits, I stick on the original uncut version of King Kong. Childish, perhaps, but a cultural critic's dream. I rewind, fast forward, and replay the scene where Kong installs Fay Ray screaming on the high rock where he lives, and she's attacked by a griffin, rock, velociraptor, hoopo, some such creation, a thousand feet above the Indian Ocean, wherever, and you can see the little freighter waiting far out there on the sparkling water. Sensitive Kong doesn't interfere with her sexually, though he does paw and sniff his fingers, actually eyes bright with curiosity. Then the entire cast come tough-talking through the primeval rainforest. Chivalrous Robert Armstrong sets her free, and they run off together down to the shore, indignant Kong chasing them with a roar because the poor sap really loves her, do you see? I sit here like an old child with a new toy or a creature from outer space, Saturn perhaps, admiring the ingenuity of the planet of the apes when, look, the huge gorilla the size of a fly, eighth wonder of the world, says the publicity, climbs up like Batman, the side of the Empire State, a black speck outlined against the morning sky, clutching Fay, said Noel Coward, like a suppository. It's all inconsistent, of course, and disproportionate. He's too small there and too big on the street, I know. But it makes no difference. It's a magnificent show. The little biplanes come gunning for him now, and Kong, by Jove, knocks one of them out of the sky with a hairy hand. They wear him out, of course, and he falls to extinction among the crowds below. And Fay. She screams, but she's safe. It might have been worse. I breathe again and zap, Lord of the Universe, the credits. Semiotician, couch potato, I've had them all here in my room on video. Lee, Graham, Taylor, Kellyanne Monroe. But why so few poems for the women I know? Because these things used to be open to innuendo. Faye, born in Alberta, you were also indirigible and existed most forcefully when faced with terror, says Video Guide, like most of us probably. Well, Kong and I dedicate this one to you, old girl, wherever you are, pushing 90 and hanging in there. We want you to know we love you and root for you still. Fifteen. Dumb knee, 
Now that we all get laid and everyone swings, who needs the formal continence of l'amour courtois and the hang-ups of a provincial clique before innocence died at Béziers and Montségur? Still in the brisk heart a faint voice will speak. In a starlit corner of the soul there sings to an enclosed loved one the intense troubadour in his quaint language. And his rondo rings resiliently on the vineyards, streams and rock-strewn hillsides of 12th century Languedoc. Still in her forest tower under the wide reign of Poitiers, Limoges, Dordogne or Aquitaine, there sleeps the remote, enfamilied Châtelaine, or she herself, Marie de Ventadour, Isolde Capio, writes to another man, while Riquier, Bornet, Vidal and Uxancier, the accomplished amateur and the shivering boy, render beneath her window a chaste homage. The sun goes down beyond the known world's edge and a crescent moon climbs an incurious sky. As to the kind of love we mean, they say, one must be patient, such is its quality. Nor is there place here for the coward, bluffer, or those rhymers who, mingling lies with truth, corrupt the wife, the husband and the lover. Perhaps all this was a deplorable thing, a vicious fiction or a coercive myth. But when the earth renews itself in spring and white-thorn flowers to hear the blackbirds sing, I too sing, although she whom I admire finds little to her taste in what I write. I praise not only her clear skin and fine eyes, but also her frank speech and distinguished air. So dumbstruck am I on her visiting days, I can find no words to speak of my desire. Yet when she leaves me, my composure flees. No one I know can hold a candle to her. And when the world dims, as it does tonight, I see the house she goes to blaze with light. Sixteen. Key West. Our little wooden northern houses. Elizabeth Bishop. Somewhere along Route 1, Plantation, Tavernier, cloud-splitting Angie broke over the Keys last year in June, the earliest ever, bringing torrential rains, though it wasn't one of those really terrible hurricanes you hear about that wreck homes and wreak atrocities on isolated farms, snug harbours, close communities, but a swift cloud stream of premonitory showers that waltzed off in the direction of New Orleans, irrigating pine and cedar, lemon groves and sandbars, while the Bahamas heaved in still turbulent seas. The outskirts of Key West when we got there, you driving, your new sunglasses in your hair, and Satchmo growling from the car radio, were still where they were supposed to be, and calm between downpours, Red Ponciana, Jasmine, Palm, and the white frame houses built a century ago. The town gasped in a tropical heat wave, and I recalled old Mr. Temple's narrative in Key Largo, the great nameless storm of 1935 that killed 800 people, it did too, and blew the East Coast Railroad into the ocean. True, the bridges are still standing, but that was the last train. Uh-oh, before dawn I came around again, fat drops hitting on storm lanterns, demented budgies screeching beyond the pool and the churning trees, and I pictured the vast turmoil undersea, a mute universe of sponge and anemone, of conscience snapper, octopus and algae, 
awed fish of every stripe in their coral conservatories while counting the chimes of St Mary's, Star of the Sea. Later, exhausted hens on the telephone lines, dishevelled dogs in the flooded Bahamian lanes, chaos, triste tropique, till mauve and rose flecked with pistachio cloud, a new kind of day arose, and I saw why once to these shores came other cold solitaries down from the north in search of love and poetry to sing in the crashing, galaxy-lit sea porches. It was one of those far-out raw mornings, the beaches littered with dreck and a derelict dawn moon, mountains and craters invisible cameo, yearned close to the earth as if murmuring to return, milk of what heavenly breast, dew drenching the skin. A wrecker's morning, with everyone a bit lost as if landed from Senegal or the Ivory Coast. Why so soon in the season? Newspapers and TV spoke of El Nino, the fabulous hot tide thrust born in December off Peru like the infant Christ, sea changing all with its rough magic, and advised of hurricanes to come so that one feared not only for the Cuban cabin and the gym-crack condominium, but for the sleek and effortless vacation home featured in the current issue of Key Design, the storm-resistant dream house with its vinyl membrane, a bait fridge and teak sailfish fighting chair, for roads and bridges, lighthouses, any structure presumed permanent. Towns and cities everywhere vulnerable to a trickle of sand, to a breath of fresh air. And thought of the fragility of all architecture, the provisional nature even of aerospace. I keep on my desk here a coarse handful of Florida sea moss and remember this wintry night, that summery place, how we strolled out there on the still-quaking docks, shaken but exhilarated, turned to retrace our steps up Caroline Street and sat in Pepe's drinking rum and coke with retired hippies who long ago gave up on the land and settled among the rocks. Seventeen. John Butler Yates. A roof over my head, protected from the rain, I'm reading, Pilgrim Father, your letters to your son and wondering if, unlike you, I should head for home. Escaping the turbulence of this modern Rome in a flurry of skyline views and exploding foam, I can see that 747 in flight over Nova Scotia, over Shannon and Limerick, snoring back to the future, to that land of the still real I left in 91, of Jennifer Johnson and Josephine Garon. I can see the old stormy island from the air, its meteorological gaiety and despair, some evidence of light industry and agriculture, familiar contours, turf smoke on field and town. I can even hear the cabin crew's soft falsia and the strains of my lagging love as we touch down. A recovering Ulster Protestant like you from County Down, I shall walk the Dublin lanes as the days grow shorter, I, who once had a poem in the New Yorker and spend old age, if any, in an old Mac with the young audibly sneering behind my back, deafened by seagulls and the playground cries of children, ourselves once, by perilous seas. Now, listening to the Russian Erbe, spring and winter noise of late-night diners while the temperatures rise and the terrible wind chill factor abates, I realise the daffodils must be out in Ditchin Glen and windows soon flung wide to the small rain 
and marvel how a figure out of the past, an old man in a hurry, you stuck it here to the last, negotiating the ice fields of 8th Avenue to die on West 29th of the Asian flu. But first you met by chance at the riverside, a young woman with a sick child she tried to hide, not out of shame, you felt, but anguished pride. Soft-spoken from Donnybrook amid the alien corn, it pained me that her bright image should fade. Thus your epiphany, and you wrote to explain. The nightingale sings with its breast against a thorn. It's out of pain that personality is born. Things you understood. Children, the human face. Something finer than honesty. The loneliness of beautiful women. The priority of the real. Things that puzzled you. Economy, fear, the argument from design, the need to feel secure. The belief in another world besides this one here. Despite your rationalism, did it ever appear that the universe might be really magical, sir? And you yourself are showing forth of that soul? Art is dreamland. When you rejoined the whole, what glimpse was given to you in the black hole? Now to Yeats, artisan writer, may we add that you were at home here and in human nature but also, in your own words, lived and died like all of us, then as now, an exile and a stranger. Eighteen. The small rain. I do hate people who come knocking late. Eartha Kitt. Once upon a time it was let me out and let me go. The night flight over deserts amid cloud. A dream of discipline and fit solitude. Now drifters, loners, harsh and disconsolate, inane and unappeased, we come knocking late. And now it's take me back and take me in. So take us in where we set out long ago, the enchanted garden in the lost domain, the vigilant lamplight glimpsed through teeming rain, the house, the stove in the kitchen, the warm bed, the hearth, frailure, ranged crockery overhead, felicitous space lost to the tribes. I lodge one window slightly open to let in the night air, Ten degrees below these nights on average, thus heating the street, the clouds, the stratosphere, and peer down through the fire escape. It's broad day all night on the 24-hour film set. Cleagues bright on stadium and construction site. But a civilization based on superfluous light concedes no decent dark, so we create with blinds and blankets our own private night to keep the glare out. Searchlights and dead stars pick out the Trump Tower and the United Nations, the halls of finance, the subway walls of the brain, the good, the bad, the ugly and the insane, the docks and Governor's Island 
and the bars where the lost and the disappointed feel no pain are empty, except for the all-night populations with no homes to go to but their eternal one. This is the hour of the chained door and the locked gate, harsh blues of the rowdy and the unfortunate, and the fetishes are wakeful in their places, lamp, chair, desk, oil heater and bookcases, brisk with a bristling mute facticity, connecting them to the greater community of wood and minerals throughout the city. When the present occupant is no longer here and durables prove transient as they do, all will survive somehow, the pictures too, prints, posters, reproductions such as they are, Botticelli's Seaborn, Shelbourne Aphrodite, Dunluce, the doors of Dublin, Whitman in a suit, Monet skiffs on the Seine, a window by Bonnard, Leech's convent garden, a hopper light, Hakusai's wave, Liechtenstein's ingenue, shedding a tear. But, but Jeff, beside the door. And look, my favourite, over there on the right, picked up at a yard sale in Connecticut. Croyers, women on the beach, a hazy shore, their footprints in the sand to the waterline, the human presence since we live here too, all primal images in their different ways, watching for springtime and the lengthening days. Jequirity, monkshood, nightshade, celandine. The friends and contemporaries begin to go, Nina Gilliam, Eugene Lamb and others too. A dry soul is best, and at night to lie empty of mind, the heart at peace, and thou, dark mother, cave of wonders, open now to our languor, the interior of the rose that closes around volition, and disclose your secret, be it Byzantium or the sphere, all centre, no circumference. I pretend you're here beside me, guardian angel, best friend practitioner of tough love and conservation. I'd say make all safe and harmonious in the end, did I not know the voyage is never done. For even as we speak, somewhere a plane gains altitude in the moon's exilic glare, or a car slips into gear in a silent lane. I think of the homeless, no room at the inn, far off the gaseous planets where they spin, the starlit towers of Nineveh and Babylon, the secret voice of nightingale and dolphin, fish crowding the Verrazano Bridge, and see even in the icy heart of February, crocus and primrose. When does the thaw begin? We have been too long in the cold. Take us in. Take us in.